Hello, this is Bethany Leone, editor of Heat Treat Radio, stepping in with a quick word about this episode, which is available in full video. Watch and listen to the full length of the episode at heattreattoday.com forward slash radio and look for Bill Disler on the greenness and goodness of salt quenching. Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Nell Hydrogen eBook, Hydrogen Generation and its Benefits for Heat Treaters. Get this Heat Treat Today resource for free at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, and today's guest, Bill Disler, president of AFC Holcroft, are exploring salt quenching. Why is there a growing interest? Is it better than oil, water, or gas? What are the costs? And how is it green? Let's jump in. First time, welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Thank you very much, Doug. Yeah, that's good to, good to have you. <laughs> it's about time. About time we it's, had to uh, yeah, so. It's been a little while. Sorry. It's, yeah, uh, no, that's good. Started. Bill, as I mentioned, I think I'm pretty sure it's your first time on Heat Treat Radio, but it is you've you've written several articles for us all of which have been very well received so we appreciate that but uh if you don't mind give our listeners just a brief introduction to yourself and uh and uh, your your history in the heat treat industry sure um i started out in uh, heat treat actually back in 1987 and uh, so i've been in the industry for quite a while i'm uh came out of college with a, an electrical engineering and math computer science degree and um, ended up working at Holcroft back then. And after a short period of time as an electrical engineer, uh, I ended up over in China helping debug some systems, uh, control systems, which uh, my six weeks did turned into two years. So um, it kind of gave me a jump start with some appreciation hands-on with furnaces and um, building furnaces, pushers, continuous uh, and batch and rotaries. And over the years, I've done quite a few different things from uh, managing an advanced controls group, um, estimating sales, and uh, had a little stint outside of uh, heat treat with a German company called Durr when Holcroft was going through some ownership transitions. And that gave me a little bit of a nice perspective, I think, outside of heat treat. So when I came back to AFC Holcroft after they acquired Holcroft, it, it kind of had opened my eyes to some things. Um, and uh, I love the heat treat world, but we're not always the fastest moving with technology. So that gave me a little bit of a, an insight with what um, the uh, automation lines for building engine blocks and heads and things were all about. Um, along the way, I was president of ALD Holcroft, which was a joint venture between um, ALD, the German vacuum carburizing group, um, which gave me a lot of insight into a different form of process where we're mainly atmosphere and their vacuum carburizing and gas quench. And, um, you know, all the way through the journey, somehow I ended up in the corner office office at AFC Holcroft, but uh, I'm still an engineer and, and probably a little bit of a sales guy at heart, I think. Yeah, yeah. How, now, how long, how long as the uh, president of, of uh, AFC Holcroft? Okay, that's a good question. I think it's, uh, it's been about eight years now, I think, eight, nine years. It was... Uh, yeah. So we, uh, you know, from before we went through the transition with the acquisition uh, 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 into the Eicheline Group, which happened in July of 16, um, which is already almost five years, I guess. Uh, so in, in several years before that. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. 
and out of Wixom, Wixom, Michigan, for those Wixom, who don't Michigan, know, yes. Detroit we, area, which is we great. We have plenty of global entities and partners, but a home base for engineering team and myself is Wixom, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too far from where uh, Whole Cross started in downtown Detroit in 1916. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yep. Very, very good. All right, so let's talk. Let's just jump into our, our topic today. We're going to talk about quenching. You know, uh, Heat Treat Today has done a lot of a lot of different articles on various types of quenching. Most of them have been focusing in on either high-pressure gas quenching, oil quenching, you know, maybe some polymer water type quenching. Uh, we're going to talk today primarily about salt quenching, okay? But if you don't mind, give us just the 30,000-foot view on some of those more chic, popular, newer type of uh, quenching, if you would, please. Well, you know, quenching is obviously for our, our customers in our, our listening group, I, I assume, you know, one of the most critical things in a lot of our heat treat processes. So, you know, since I've been involved in heat treat, which has been a few years, um, there's always been focus on, on different types of medias to quench in. You know, and, and over the years, I guess I've, I've come to look at quenching as a fairly basic uh, thermal heat transfer process. So I guess what, as we talk about salt eventually, we can talk maybe about some of the other processes and, and some of the fundamentals that people maybe don't always understand about, uh, say, oil or, uh, you know, which frankly, you know, we, we and, and the general population of people that carburize and quench generally it's it's oil that's become quenching. Still far and away the the most popular from anything else out there. And uh, you know, oil is a very flexible quenching. You know, um, it's uh, tried and true. It's uh, predictable, um, but it does have one challenge. And I think this kind of ties into the evolution into gas quenching. And and the challenge with oil is it boils. So as you take a hot part, put it into, into, into oil, the reason we all focus on quench, uh, quench agitation, not too much speed, not too little, it's to try to take the oil past the part before it forms, before it boils. Yeah, before the, the reality stage. is, yeah, you, you just can't do that. Uh, right. you, you can help it, but there's always going to be a vapor phase. And the challenge with that is the non-even heating of, of heat transfer into a liquid versus heat transfer into a gas is significantly different. So you've got two phases, basically, with oil that, that you're quenching the parts into. And what's probably the most common concern with quenching? It's distortion. Yes. So, so over time, I think that's really the introduction of gas quench. So, so the evolution of trying to control distortion is really, I think, mainly from oil, a two-phase, I'll call it a two-phase quench, uh, where you have liquid heat transfer and a gaseous heat transfer taking place to a, to a single phase quench. Right. So when you compress gas, it's already in a gaseous phase. So if you get into a, say an 18 bar quench, the higher the pressure, the better the heat transfer, but it's a single phase quench, which means generally you don't have that big differential in temperature when you're quenching parts. So your distortion tends to improve. The challenge with with high with uh, gas quenching is that even at higher pressures, 18 bar or reasonable pressures, in a cold chamber, going from a hot chamber to a cold chamber quench, like on the uh, larger systems that are used in, in the, some of the automotive gears, um, they the heat transfer coefficient is still not very good. 
So you're just not able to take enough heat away fast. So that was really the big evolution and introduction, I think, of, of gas quenching, um, which I tend to talk about separate from vacuum carburizing. But the gas quench element was all about distortion control. And transmission gears in the automotive, they were hoping to go from oil quench, where they had to, to get the distortion and grind them, hard grind them, very expensive. They wanted to go to gas quench, and then they wouldn't have to grind. Uh, the reality is, generally, they still grind today. Um, but the gas is a better heat transfer media when it comes to distortion than oil because it's single phase. It just can't take a lot of heat out fast. And I think, you know, that's where we're seeing salt come back into, into the picture, um, even for Martin Sedek type quenches. So if we look at that evolution, you know, we, we go from oil, then they go to gas quench for distortion. But now a lot of the challenges I think people are seeing is that the, the heat transfer rate limitations, you know, you've got to go to very light trays, maybe carbon fiber fixtures, things like this. Um, you know, it, it's got its limitations. And, and also for certain parts, um, they could be just too thick to, to, heat, to, to take the heat away quick enough to be successful. Um, the, the other big thing is it's not cheap. You know, you've got uh, you've got very complex high pressure chambers with 300 horse motors and so on. You're right. Yeah. You're sucking down the electricity. We know that for sure with the high horsepower motors typically. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, they tend to cycle. They have to cycle. So in a big plant, you know, it's one thing having a lot of power consumption, but it's another thing where you have these these high speed, you know, these high horsepower motors starting and stopping all the time. Um, not usually things that our customers like. But hey, clearly it's a it's an acceptable heat transfer uh, quench system, and for the right set of parts, it can be a very good fit. Um, I think that we've kind of gone through an evolution where a lot of customers went from one type of quenching into this, and we're seeing a lot more activity with them saying, "Wow, you know, we really like the distortion control, but we, you know, what else is there?" Which is where salt starts coming back into the mix. Right, right. Which is what we really want to talk about. I think that I think that's probably a good segue, Bill. To, to get over into it. I mean, salt quenching, you know, what is it? What is it? I, I don't know that a lot of people use it. So just explain it for the, for the uninformed. What's a salt quench? Uh, I think, I think, you know, if you, the, the minute we typically talk about salt and a lot of people I've known in the heat treat industry for a long time, you know, um, I bring up salt, you know, ah, you know, it's, what are you talking about salt? You know, we, that's nasty stuff. We don't want to use that. So first, I guess I should start out saying we're talking about salt quenching, okay? Historically, when people talked about salt, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, they talked about high temperature salts as well that had cyanide and things like this in it, nasty animals. For salt bath heat treating, the, the basically is how you're heating it up, but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about using conventional atmosphere equipment and then quenching instead of oil or polymer or something else or gas, you know, taking it into um, molten salt. And I'd say that in general, you know, the most common um, thoughts with salt is to use it for bayonetic quenching. So if you're, you're quenching into a bayonetic structure, salt has always been the, the, really the only way to do this. And the reason is you can take it up into the temperatures where you form bayonite, which is you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, often six, 700 degrees Fahrenheit, where they're using salt to quench into a bayonetic um, structure versus martensite, which is a lot of our conventional heat treat. 
So, so I'll call it a bit of a specialty, specialized process, but it's very common. So your all your spring steels, um, you know, um, there's there's a ton of parts that are that are uh, bayonetically quenched. And in general, you know, you'll see a lot of mesh belts doing stamped parts. Yes. In a molten salt, most of those are are in the bayonet, um, spring clips, uh, retaining clips, things like that. And uh, but you also have batch systems that have the ability to quench into into uh, salt type environments. And still, I'd say that the majority are into bayonetic quench. But what we're seeing the growth into, and and much more activity is Martensetic quenching. So I'll just say transmission gears. You know, for the sake of an example, what people might not realize, and, and I'll, I'll be, I guess, uh, appropriate in not naming the, the company, but one of the big three in the day, uh, automotive, American automotive company, prior to going to gas quenching back in carburizing, all of their transmission gears were quenched into salt. And salt quenched, okay. Salt quenched. Rows and rows of pusher furnaces into salt quench to get martensite. Okay. So, so the benefit of that, that they saw, and I'll say these lines were built in the 70s and the 60s. So this isn't new. They were using molten salt to get martensetic quenching in transmission gears because it was less distortion than oil. Okay. So then their evolution was to go into, uh, with some of the German dual clutch transmissions, came gas quenching. And interestingly enough, some of those folks are now saying, wow, that was really expensive. I've got this equipment for 10 plus years and maybe I should revisit some of the uh, some of the other stuff that used to give us the same distortion in Martin Sedek. And so this is, I think, the journey that, that SALT has gone through. It is not a new process. It's been around for a lot longer than I've been in the business. Um, but it does have a stigma of, um, of dirty, um, which is is I think maybe unfair. And if it's confused with high temperature salts, then it, it, it has an environmentally unfriendly feel to it. Right, right. Well, we'll talk, I, I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about the greenness, quote unquote, of it here in just a second. But let's talk about, so you've given us a sense of it that it's been around for quite a while, salt, salt quenching, but let's talk about some of the advantages. To, to me, sometimes it's, it's easier for somebody to kind of be able to visualize what's happening in a quench, and, and then these pieces fall into place. So, so if you consider, um, let's say you, you use the example of um, uh, parts with significantly different thicknesses. Um, you know, they can be challenging for any kind of quench uh, media. But, you know, the big thing that that causes distortion and can cause different problems is the vapor phase of oil. So if we're going to compare to oil. So, so if you think about the things that, that happen when you get a, a vapor film or some bubbling on the surface of, of a part, you know, it's all about uneven heat transfer. And I use the example of if you want to take something out of your freezer and thaw it, you sit it on your kitchen counter in the air and how long will it take to thaw or put it in some water? Yeah. It's a radical difference in heat transfer between a gas and a liquid. And this is really what happens when you get a film boiling with, with oil. So we do a lot of things to minimize that. That's quenchy agitation. But if you have a, a, a big thick piece 
of material here and a thin piece here, this is going to give up its heat really quick. This one may not. You know, you got to get into the core that you're still taking heat out. So, so there's a heat transfer rate, and I'd say that salt at a uh, quenching temperature of maybe 350 degrees is going to have about the heat same heat transfer rate as oil. We'll just say roughly. There's, you know, so so it's not about heat transfer as much as the fact that it's it's all uniformly cool. So even if the heat transfer coefficients of oil versus salt were similar, the reality is in a quench that you're not getting the liquid heat transfer rate in oil in all aspects of the part. That's right. Yeah. And so those areas cool much slower where salt won't boil. That's the key. Salt doesn't boil in the temperatures we're dealing with. So it's always a liquid heat transfer rate. Right. So in a sense, with oil, you're getting, you're, you think you're dumping it into a liquid, but the fact of the matter is for some fractions of a second or fractions of a minute, you actually have a, you actually have a gas quench going on there, if you will, because of the vapor, right? I mean, you've got an insulating layer there that's preventing the liquid from actually hitting the, hitting the metal. So you're getting, you're getting uh, ununiform quenching. And you could look at this from a, you know, Let's say you've got a, a, a ring gear or something, and you know you're, you're like everybody's got flow of oil coming to the bottom. So you might be getting nice liquid quench, you know, li uh, liquid heat transfer here. But what's on the other side, where you have a little bit less flow, and you have a you, you, you've got a bigger vapor barrier on that side? And guess what? That's that's what makes the gear bend. So so the is here whether or not you're talking about a gas quench or a salt quench. The characteristics of the quenchant are the same. They're a single phase. Right, right. And, and, and that brings a, a huge amount of benefits um, in heat transfer. And you could talk about something like a blind hole, really hard to quench a blind hole. Yeah, that was a question actually, yeah. Okay, so, so as an example, um, you know, it's hard to carburize or um, quench a blind hole. That's one thing, say, for instance, in a blind hole, I'd say a good argument for vacuum carburizing, if that's a big issue, you need to carburize inside of it because vacuum carburizing can probably get inside more than uh, and, and, uh, endo. But when it comes to quenching, you know, they're hard to get into either way, but imagine oil getting into a hole that's very hot. You know, what's going to happen? You're going to get boiling in that hole. So, so, so I'm not saying that salt's going to make cure all those problems, but you don't have it boiling trying to get into the hole. You still got to get the fluid in the hole, which is a problem. Um, but you don't have the vapor that's that's pushing it back out. So in those cases, it's it's very much a, a case by case. But I think that that just the, the physics of salt, and if people can envision can visualize what's what's happening when you're quenching, this is you know it's it's not uh, it's not magic. It's just that it, it's a single phase quench. And that brings a lot of benefits. And it's a single phase quench which, with much better heat transfer rates than say 18 bar nitrogen. So, so this is where you can use it in places where you can't gas quench a part. You can't get, you got a thicker part and you just can't get the heat out of it in the gas quench. You may very well be able to get the distortion benefits from salt, but still get the heat transfer rate that you need to quench, quench out the part. One of the, one of the things you mentioned, Bill, was the, with oil, 
was the the reason that you, you engage in a lot of the uh, stirring of the quench, the agitation and things of that sort is to help keep that, to hopefully eliminate the vapor stage, you know, keep the oil flowing over the over the part. So that helps with the distortion. Do they, do you have to do the same thing agitation wise with salt or do you do the same thing with salt? Do you, do you agitate to quench as well? Yeah, we still want to be moving the salt past the parts. So just like any media. Um, and it's not as much a worry about boiling, but we, you're still transferring um, heat into the salt. So you want to take that heat and move it away from the parts. So agitation is the vehicle to do that. And that gives you, you know, because you were talking about uniformity before, um, you know, the tank uniformity of a salt quench versus an oil quench, it's all about the same. I mean, well, you know, we can, we, we can hold uniformity throughout. Okay. Um, you know, the bigger thing is instantaneous temperature rise with a quench, which is a different topic, which is just really a function of the volume of the tank. Yeah. But the agitation, I'd say, we still want to move in most cases. It's not as sensitive if you're in a, in a, in a mesh belt where you're dropping parts down through a tank. You might not need, need that agitation. Um, but in a, in, a, in a batch or a, a, a fixture continuous load, we definitely would want to still agitate the, the salt. Through Primarily just to keep the cooler salt, if you will, cooler salt coming by, which therefore can increase your heat, heat exchange or heat extraction. Yeah, your heat transfer rate would stay constant because you've got the same temperature salt through it. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I got one other quick question though. I just thought of it. What oil quench? Oil quench uh, runs typically at what temperature? What temperature do you keep the oil quench bath, and what temperature do you keep the salt uh, quench? Are they roughly the same? Uh, well, no. They can uh, be significantly different. It depends on. Um, well, lots of things, but I'll say we will typically see oil running from 120, 150 degrees Fahrenheit up to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. In fact, we've had customers run over 400 degrees Fahrenheit with special oil, but generally you're up into the flash point of the oil and it's not really a, a great idea. Um, and those are all Martin set quenches. Remember, oil can't get you bainite. It can't, it can't go high enough in temperature to get a bayonetic quench. So if you're quenching it to bainite in salt, which is still very common, you're up in the, you know, you're, you're above the martensite start point for materials, which is, of course, it depends on the alloying of the material. Call it 400 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, rough figure, 350 degrees Fahrenheit. So, so above those temperatures, salts are very comfortable and they'll run up to, you know, 800 degrees is really no practical limit, but, but there's no need to go much higher than that for or um, bainite. If you wanted to get into Martin set of quenches, you're going to be down around the 300 degree temperatures. You can't go to lower temperatures with salt. So probably your realistic lower point would be about 300 degrees, um, which is, you know, I tell anybody looking at it, you know, you really got to look at your parts, your alloy and everything else to make sure it's still a fit. But in most cases, um, you know, that, that, that can get people what they're looking for. It, it, it's it's not a one size fits all. But, no, um, right, right, and that was kind of one of my questions was just how low can you go? Kind of like limbo here, right? How yeah, low can know, we go could, with salts? Yeah, you could hardly go down to maybe two fifty, but reason you know the lower temperature salts don't behave that well. So I I'd say probably in the three hundred degree range, three three fifty. Um, 
And uh, that's also probably for a customer that's looking to, to optimize distortion control uh, as long as they can get the hardenability at those temperatures of their materials and so on. Um, that's probably the, the sweet point for, for trying to minimize distortion, but it's always a balancing act here because you're, you're still at a temperature that's, that's higher than some of the colder oils. So there could be some parts you simply may still not be a great fit, but it's, uh, that's why we have to look at them on a case by case. Right. Yeah. I mean, and just another thought that jumps to mind is that you don't have a flashpoint with salt, I assume. Not, not in the temperatures we're working with. Yeah. We'll be returning to Bill and Doug after a short break to hear about green practices associated with salt quenching. Now, we're all wondering where to quickly learn in-depth knowledge about new heat treat technologies. Some will say heat treat radio. Others will point to industry journals or specific videos on Vimeo or YouTube. But if you want curated information that you can skim or study with accompanying visuals and illustrations to really get across those points, read the free ebook hydrogen generation and its benefit for heat treaters this ebook is easy to access it's free it's on heat treat today and it's written by experts at nell hydrogen you can download it anywhere anytime it's packed in 18 pages with pros and cons of on-site generation including cost sourcing and furnace types osha epa compliance and so much more Hydrogen generation and its benefit for heat treaters is free to download at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. That's it. Let's get back to the episode. Is salt quenching green? Yeah, and, and as we said before, I think that that uh, the, the first reaction of the average listener when I say yes is like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with um, sodium nitrite, sodium nitrate salts. Um, I won't go so far to say it's exactly what your table salt is, but it's not that different. Um, there's no cyanide in it. There's no nasties in it. And um, depending on where you are, small, small quantities can probably go down the drain. Some places not. You're not going to dump a bunch down, obviously. But it is not like oil. Um, the other big thing that, that's very important is that in, in the current systems, we reclaim close to 99% of the salt. Okay. So as you quench, you know, if you look at an oil quench, you, you go into an oil quench, you come out, you wash the oil off, and it ends up in a washer, kind of messy, homogenized. And we, we have skimmers of various types, and then you get this sludge that you have to get rid of. Um, with salt, you'll come out of the quench with some salt, salt, liquid salt on it. You'll go into a washer, but that salt then dissolves back into the water. So generally, there's a multi-phase um, wash with a wash, rinse, rinse. And then after we get a certain percentage of salt in the wash solution, we thermally evaporate the water off, leaving the salt back where it can be reintroduced into the quench tank. So, so when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, salt's reclaimed. Oil, you know, the, the oil... You know, unless you're really getting into high-tech thermal recovery for uh, for oil, that just it's a it's a it's a uh, not friendly to get rid of. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you, you're recycling your salt. You know, you you got to load it up once, but but you don't have the the life expectancy problems typically with salt. Um, you can rejuvenate it. You can mix your balances uh, over time. 
And um, oil, yeah, you can recycle oil, do additives, but you know, if somebody's really picky about their heat treat, you know, after a year or two, you better be dumping the oil and starting all over again. And uh, where does that oil go? It's contaminated oil. So from an environmentally friendly standpoint, ironic as it sounds to some people, salt is a very, very green process. We recycle almost all of it. Yeah, on site too. It sounds like when you're when you're recycling or re reusing it, you're able to do most of that on site. Whereas a lot of people are sending oils out, right? I mean, they got to oils out, get them tested, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, this all on site. So you have a, a recovery system, whether or not it's a batch or a continuous type operation, you can recover the salt. And um, so from an environmental standpoint, it uh, it's it's much greener. And so we're trying to let people know that because you know there's there's a lot of movement to environmentally friendly heat treat, you know, whether or not we start seeing more electric furnaces or not, we'll see carbon footprint gets looked at, but uh, Quenchant's one of them that uh, this has a bad rap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were talking about, I was watching the other day on uh, one of a little industry thing about the first, the first batch of completely green steel was delivered to a car company and manufactured, or maybe it was a off-road vehicle company, Caterpillar or somebody like that, where they, made their first fully green uh, piece of equipment from green steel that came from somebody. So we'll see, but you're right. Point being green is green is here, you know, green is here. And, you know, I, I'd say that that, that that's a, a bit of the benefit I would say over oil to gas quench as well. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think we'll be seeing more, you know, traditionally there's, you know, all of the people in the furnace manufacturing world will soon be delivering carbon footprint data on our furnace information and so on. A lot of our customers are already looking for that. And it's, it's already here in, in, in Europe, but it's, it's coming, coming to uh, the U.S. as well. And it's interesting as we start comparing, you know, our experience with LPC and gas quench, you know, there's, there's also, there, you know, electricity. Now we're tracking to where you're making the electricity. If it's from a coal plant or a natural gas plant, there's still a carbon footprint to it. Um, so I think as as we as we unravel these uh, these complicated topics, it'll be interesting to see um, our preliminary information how well conventional atmosphere and something like salt uh, fares in that comparison. It's 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 interesting, but you know people forget even with uh, vacuum furnaces, which we've built quite a few of, they're water cooled. Yeah. Water cooling and pumping water through stuff that you have to put additives in and everything else is not environmentally friendly. So the ir- irony is over my career in atmosphere furnaces, there's been an ongoing push to get all the water off of the furnace. I don't, it used to be water cooled fans, water cooled door frames. I don't want any of that now. And we're all air cooled. And uh, even our endo generators. And then here you go in uh, this new environmentally green system and you're pumping tons of water around. And uh, so as we've started doing some comparisons of, with salt, oil, and, and all the other systems that we, we offer, it, it is coming out uh, interesting what, what's really green and what the perception has been out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's generally true for most of the green movement is what's perceived to be green and what might really be green is a different thing. Yeah. Uh, if you read in our, if you read in our August issue, uh, we had a, we had a column by uh, Lorenzo Goncalves, who's the chairman, president, CEO of uh, Cleveland Cliffs. 
And he had very interesting things to say about what people think is green and what what really is green. So it's no, it's a, it's a very interesting topic and and sensitive one. But uh, we'll be hearing more about it, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I just want to on on a completely serious note here. Now, when I graduated from high school in 1980, our our class song was Kermit Frog singing It Ain't Easy Being Green. Well, now we know. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't easy. Actually, most companies will tell you it's not so easy. So Kermit had something there, man ahead of his time. But uh, OK, so I got one of the one environmental question for you about uh, about the salt quenching is how about the how about the work environment around salt? Is it you know, I, there's certain, is there off gassing? Is there anything workers near it? I mean, if you work near a salt bath furnace, forget it, you know, come in with a, come in with a face mask on, you know, but how about salt quenching? No, I, I think um, really to be objective, you know, there's, 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 um, you know, from a salt standpoint, if you walked into, you know, we've got a, an os temper heat tree. It's just belt os tempering up here in, in the Detroit area. If you walk into that plant, it's incredibly clean. Okay. Um, you don't have the oil fumes that and vapors and things like that, which in any plant, if it's properly, you know, um, vented and so on, isn't a big deal, you know, but you don't have that kind of um, uh, a feel to it. So there's nothing toxic about it. Um, you know, but it's like any other quenching. If you're operating oil or salt at 300 degrees or above, you got to take care. Um, you know, none of whether or not it's oil or salt, they don't mix well with water because it's above the boiling point of water, as an example. So I'd say in those areas, those two have similar challenges. It's just a matter of dealing with a hotter quenching. Um, the one challenge I'd say um, with salt, and these are, I'll say, the conventional, a bit older equipment, um, is that the carryout, when you carry out salt, this molten, when it cools down, it solidifies. Aha, uh-huh. on the so instead surface. Of get, yeah, instead of getting a little grease in, or oil on your, your transfers, you could get solidified salt. It's not fun or desirable. So with salt, if you're in a batch line, for instance, it's more pronounced and you do have to have some special maintenance procedures to rinse down your transfer car and things like this. As long as you do that, it's, it's very easy to maintain. Um, but the reality is you're coming out of a hot quench. And when you get it onto a transfer car to get to a washer, it can solidify. Yeah. Uh, once you get to the washer, then it's, it's easy street. Uh, in, in your continuous furnaces, uh, it's really not an issue because you're going right from one area right into a washer and it's much more contained. Um, but the reality is, you know, your batch systems can get, get a bit messier. And if you're then taking, say, a hot load that was quenched to a bayonetic temperature and putting it into a washer, you could be putting a 600-degree Fahrenheit load into a washer, and you get a lot of steam. Uh-huh, yeah. And the challenge is if you don't contain the steam, the steam can contain salt vapor, salt in the vapor, um, just like really oil can be in vapor, too. So, But it's just a different animal. And you really don't want that any more than you want a, an oil vapor. Um, it can it can stick on different things. And, and the one thing that, um, you know, I'd say that'd be the one reality about, about salt with batch. The newer systems and, and things that we've focused on is, is overcoming that. 
Uh, for instance, by, by quenching in salt, if it's not batched, moving directly into a, a multi-stage washer before that load even comes out onto a transfer. So there's no carry out of salt. So by the time the parts come out, they're, they're perfectly clean. And uh, the nice thing is, remember, washing salt off of a part with water versus washing oil off with water. Another big topic, maybe you've had some podcasts on, is yeah. washing oil. Yeah, right? we've had some washing. Yeah, you yeah. bet. You know that, 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 that story that oil and water don't mix? Well, they don't. However, salt and water do mix. Salt goes into solution in water, and we carry it away, and, and you're going to get nice, clean parts. So that's, a, that's another nice byproduct um, of, of a system designed properly. You know, in the older days of those old big pusher furnaces, I said one of the automotive companies was making transmission gears. Those were open salt tanks. So we'd come out of a, a, a furnace into an open salt tank, and then you bring it up and take it into the washer and the temper. And along the way, you had all kinds of salt buildup. Um, but remember, those were about 50 years old. So um, the key is designing equipment to manage it differently, containing those uh, uh, wash fumes and things like that. That's really what we see the next evolution of salt quench system being systems being because we do see salt becoming um, more more common, frequently asked for after the people have had their their interest uh, with compressed gas quenching and distortion control. Now that it's coming back, we really need to think about repackaging it to keep it clean in the plant. All right. So, Bill, how about, uh, you know, with every, with every quench system, with every system, whatever it is, there's maintenance involved. What, any special maintenance requirements on a salt quenching system? Um, yes, I'd say it's, it's, it's different than a conventional oil quench system. And, and I'll say any, any quench system that you're looking at has its uh, uniquenesses to, to uh, maintenance. Salt can be is something that needs to be learned a bit if it's new to somebody. Uh, we talked a little bit about the risk of salt solidifying um, and, and creating a mess that you'd have to rinse it down. So as I said, in a, in a transfer car, in a batch situation, we normally would suggest a parking station where you can rinse that 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 uh, car down very easy. Um, so, so you do have to look for salt buildup on some of the systems, and and uh, not difficult maintenance, but you have to be attentive to it. Um, you know, the one thing that's uh, I'll say a benefit with salt and some or oil in some cases when you have carry out and gets all over your equipment, it's a lubricant. <laughs> yeah. So it's messy, it's undesirable, but it's a lubricant and until a bunch of other crap gets tied into it and then it can be an abrasive lubricant. But um, salt doesn't bring you that benefit. So you have a little bit more housekeeping, uh, a lot of recommendations of how to do that. Um, also, generally for a, a quench system, we would recommend a, a holding tank that you can pump out the tank with. Um, versus maybe some plants would use a tanker or have a company come in and pump out tanks. The reason for that is if you had maintenance or if you had a different issue, you want to try to keep that salt uh, liquid. So when you're looking at things, um, if you want it, if you were running a heat treat where you really wanted to shut it down for extended periods of time and bring it back up and so on, you know, you have to look closely at salt because salt doesn't, uh, you know, it's, it takes a while to re-liquefy once it solidifies. Um, it's not the kind of thing you turn on and off, you know, like uh, the, one of the benefits of a gas quench. 
and turn it on and off. So uh, again, everything, um, there's no one size fits all. It's, it's got a, a, a blend of benefits and some, some challenges. So it just depends on, on the operation itself. Is, is there danger, is there danger in assault, an assault quench system if power goes out and the salt solidifies? I mean, are you going to ruin your equipment or is it just, oh, it froze up. Now I got to, got to heat it back up. I'd say the worst case scenario is, again, we would recommend then pumping it into another tank. But um, if, in fact, it were to solidify, uh, you you just have to take the time to remelt it when you get power okay. back. Okay. It's not like it. Ex- it's not like ice. I assume it doesn't expand. It's not going to blow tank. up or, or yeah. It's no, no, no. Okay. All right. That's good. All right. Let's move into a little practical question about applications. So, Bull, I've got two. It's kind of a two-part question. First, what are some typical applications for salt quenching? And then, secondly, are there products and/or processes that that people are doing that they really ought not to even think about salt quenching? So, first, what are the what are the good ones? Secondly, what are the ones we shouldn't think about? Uh, again, I, I guess I take salt quenching applications into two categories. You know, the most common that we talked about earlier are bayonetic quenches. Um, os tempering and and things. Um, we even see it now becoming more common, uh, ductile iron os tempering, which is uh, a, a slightly different process starting with a different material. Um, the benefit of that, and we'll see more and more of it, is it's got a tremendous strength to weight ratio, even better than aluminum, as an example. <clears throat> so it's a great way to, to lightweight certain, certain things. So, so we have the whole world of bayonetic quenching. Um, which is pretty traditional with salt, but I'll say the less traditional would be the martensitic type quenching. So we'll say more conventional to most of our, our people using oil. So, so applications for that, you know, I, I, I think, you know, one thing that we're seeing a lot of activity is, is with is in gears. The reason for gears being, you know, something that, that people are looking close at because they're so sensitive to distortion. And, um, you know, Again, even, even when people went to gas quench, they found that to get quite enough transmissions, they still did some light grinding. But just to be clear, the less distortion you have, the less grinding you do. Grinding isn't a nice process. It's, uh, you know, you, you're grinding away on some hard steel. So um, I think that that's something, especially when we look at electric vehicles coming out, some of those powertrains are now spinning at much higher RPMs. Distortion is going to be even more sensitive to them. And uh, I suspect that salt could play a role for them, um, especially in some of the volumes, if they don't want to get into some of the complications and expenses of a gas quench type system. Right, right. Okay. All right, good. And how about people that that really don't even think about salt if you're doing this type of product? Well, again, I think part of it is it's the application itself. You know, you've got to, you know, getting into salt if you're already in oil is a is a commitment. So um you know, there's a lot of benefits to it. I would say, you know, there's there's going to be some parts where maybe you can't get the heat transfer quenching down to 300 degrees. Um, you know, if you need to be in a cold oil, a, a, a lower temperature quench to get certain characteristics, salt's probably not going to be a great fit for you. Um, there are interesting things um, happening now with salt that's maybe worth mentioning, and it's been going on for a while, but Interestingly enough, you know, we talk about vapor barriers and all this stuff. 
there are some, some people that add small amounts of water to salt. And interestingly enough, uh, AFC Holcroft's been doing a lot of research on this because the actual physics of how this works is kind of mystifying. Even for austempering ductile iron, when you've got salt at six, 700 degrees Fahrenheit, there's water often added to the salt to increase its quench severity. Hmm. So the question you obviously ask is, well, how the heck do you get water to stay in salt? Yeah, at, anything at, over 212. Yeah, so so it does in fact happen. Um, and it stays in a liquid form based on some testing we've done, whether or not it's a combination of the pressure and some, there's some other physics going on. But the interesting thing is when we did testing with the heat transfer rate, um, it's not just conventional water blend with salt to give you the heat transfer coefficient change with salt with a little bit of water in it. But it appears that that as you do quench and there's water, it's the latent uh, energy that need, is needed to, to transfer the water into gas, which is a little bit of something we're trying to work against, right? That That absorbs a lot more energy out of the the material. So we know that water is a very severe quenching. Yes, right. So so it can really change the quench severity of salt with small, we're talking about one to three percent water in salt. And we just recently, ASU Holcroft got a patent on a quench severity probe, which can actually measure that in salt. So whereas before there was no way to measure that, we can actually now with a probe uh, see the change in quench severity um, with this, this technique within a quench tank so that it's, it's more repeatable. But, um, I guess it's kind of, it's, it's a complicated topic. If people want to follow up and ask me some questions about it later on, I'm, I'm happy to uh, talk about it. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to follow. So you guys patented this quench severity probe? Yes. We got okay. a patent. So I, uh, I see another heat treat radio in your future. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a few patents. I don't talk a, a lot about them, but we've got some interesting things going on, but that was one that we started working on a couple of years ago because um, people for, for a long time added water to salt um, to change the quench severity, but, but it's a very difficult thing to measure. So now, now you know, being able to look at means to measure it in situ is, is potentially an important ingredient in the next years for people that start transferring into this as a more viable quench option. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, one other one other question real quick. This might be taken back just a little bit, but maybe a very brief answer. The parts that come out of a salt quench compared to the parts that come out of a, a high-pressure gas quench, how about the cosmetics of them? They're not going to be as bright and shiny as coming out of a, uh, a gas quench. Um, I don't think there's anything out there right now that's going to give you the same um, cosmetics if uh, gas quench. If you have an application where that's really important, um, gas quench is hard to beat. I will tell you that what's interesting is um, there's, there's pros and cons to that. First of all, the vast majority of parts that are uh, gas quenched gears, as an example, still go through a shot peening process. And uh, that, that's not for cleanliness, it's for uh, surface strength and-, and uh, Right, compressive strength, comp surface, compressive surface. Yeah. And, um, the other thing is, it's it's uh, you know with the as we're working with ALD Holcroft, you know a lot of these systems now have to actually etch the parts coming out of heat treat. Hmm. 
because um, it's very, you can't, the benefit of nice, clean parts, they're nice and clean. The downside when you're managing a captive or a commercial heat treat is you can't tell a green part from a hard part. And believe me, there's been some nightmares where that didn't go well. Yeah, and they all look the same. Um, so ironically, for all the benefits that that, that has, it, it, it added in our lines when we were do, you know, in the ga gas punching systems, um, etching the parts so that you could tell, um, but it's still not a perfect scenario. So um, again, if you need nice, clean parts, salt's not going to give you bright and shiny. Right, right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So last question. If I'm a, a captive heat treater, currently using oil, currently using high pressure gas quench, what are the questions uh, I ought to be asking myself uh, about potentially trans transitioning back over to salt? How do I know my, my process is a good candidate? Well, I, I, I think, I guess that's a good question. I think, um, you know, there's ways we can look at a particular material, type of part, and the big thing first is, can we get the transfer rate to get the hardenability um, at the temperatures that salt is able to quench at? Um, so, you know, if you vet a part through that process, um, you could then, you know, look, look at maybe doing some testing and so on with, with distortion and, and so on. So, so I think, you know, if, if, if you could be a candidate for a hotter oil quench with your part, this is probably quite viable if you really need to get into cold oil uh, with the heat transfer rates there. It's worth doing some testing only because, again, sometimes you don't know exactly what the true heat transfer rate you're getting with oil is because it could be, you know, that vapor phase playing a little bit of a, a game with you. So even though the, the textbook heat transfer rate of salt isn't quite as good as it would be for an oil, oil quench in that situation, you know, it it might bring benefits beyond just those, those static numbers. So we probably need to do some testing and things like that. Um, the big thing I, I guess I will say, and it's not a plus to salt, but you know, I'm, I'm here to be objective. We build all kinds of equipment, not just salt plants. So we're just talking about salt. The one thing that I'd say a captive or a commercial needs to look at, and uh, it depends, it, it's also a factor with the design of the equipment. You know, We've been in a lot of heat treats, Doug, I'm sure. And some of them you go in there and, you know, you want to make sure you don't have your leather-soled shoes on because, you know, everything's got a film of grease on it or, or oil. The one thing that we tell customers that if you're going to put in salt, um, it's better if you can have it in an area separate from your oil quenches. And the reason is that, that depending on the system, you can still get vapor if you don't vent, say, a washer real well. You won't get it off of the quench because it never boils. It's generally the washer. And I'd say that in the older days, we had, you know, you'd see steam coming out of a washer. It looked like, you know, like a leaky tea kettle boiling over, you know. Um, those systems, you've got to be careful because there's salt residue in that vapor. Mixing salt residue with oil isn't a good combination. And the reason is oil will burn. It's got the carbon in it. Salt is an oxidizer. So you really don't want those two mixed because it can burn more aggressively and be, you know, create more of a danger. So I would say in a, in a, in a real, one of the hurdles to people looking at salt is that it's not easy 
to just put in any old heat treat. If you got a big oil punch line, old heat treat, sticking a salt line right next to it, we probably wouldn't advocate that. No, it's such a good idea. Just, gotcha. uh, you know, I'll say that the newer equipment we're coming out with, we've got a new product that, that's been developed to kind of address that specifically to contain any salt vapor. But the, the, the risk that people should look at is mixing, mixing salt and oil. If either one of them are allowed to go into vapor phase, you don't want those two vapors condensating together because the salt can be your, your oxidizer to oil, which wants to burn. So, you know, just for the safety's sake, we, we would advocate trying to do this in a separate area, which, which can be a huge hurdle to a lot of people. Sure, sure. All right, very good, very good. So, Bill, I'm guessing there's going to be some people potentially wanting to get a hold of you uh, with questions. And, of course, they can always touch base with us at Heat Treat today. But whatever you're comfortable giving out, if, they, if people want to get in touch with you directly, what can they do? No, I'm uh, I'm happy to provide some information. I think it doesn't take long to look on the internet to find my contact uh, email if you needed to out there. So, um, you know, I I'm available at W Disler, William for William Disler. So W D I S L E R at AFC Holcroft.com. And uh, if you send questions to me, I can uh, direct you. If either myself, I can address it, or our sales team, or an engineering uh, person can follow up. Um, also, uh, I've got a, an office line, um, that I'm happy to give. Um, you can call 248-668-4022. That's an office line that, uh, then can get directed to different people too. Or of course, go online, you can grab AFC whole cross main line. And, um, we're doing, uh, you'd be surprised uh, how much salt equipment is being ordered these days. People would probably be surprised. Uh, it could be, I don't know if it's quite yet half of our, our volume, but it's, it's a good 30% and it's a growing segment. So we, we've got uh, a lot of people very familiar with it. Plus we do operate uh, two small heat treats that do belt os tempering only. Um, so the Keogh family that uh, eventually was AFC, Atmosphere Furnace Company, then acquired Holcroft, their roots sit with salt. And so there's a lot of uh, heritage and knowledge within our group to uh, help people with any questions. And uh, I can direct you to the right people that uh, can answer those for you. Good, good. All right, that's great. So people interested in getting hold of Bill, you can do WF for William Disler, D-I-S-L-E-R at AFC hyphen Holcroft.com or office phone 248-668-4022. Bill, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. Interesting topic, salt quench. We'll... Uh, We'll have to uh, just stir up a little interest in this. So, well, I appreciate the uh, chance. Sorry, I've been dodging in and out of the shadows here. It's one of the rare, uh, rare fall days. It has sunlight in Michigan. Yeah, I was so, going to uh, say. Listen, let's not complain, right? I mean, we recorded this on uh, November November eighth, and the the leaves are most of the leaves are still on the trees, and the sun's shining. So, there's no complaining yeah. here. I'm not complaining at all. But uh, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, having me on your show, and. Uh, it's an interesting topic that we'll be seeing more of in the future. So uh, I hope I was able to, to answer some questions and spark some interest in some of the people out there. Very enlightening. Very, very salty. Very good job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, <laughs> right, Bill. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode with Bill Disler. Heat Treat Radio is on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and the website www.heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. 
If you'd like to get in contact with Bill, head over to wdistler at afc-holcroft.com or call him at 248-668-4022. You can also email me and I can put you in touch. My email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We're always looking for new, interesting topics to talk about on the show. So if you have an idea for a future episode or if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, let me know and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. Also, check out some of the other resources that Heat Treat Today has to offer to keep you prepared for your next sales call, system upgrades, or trade show events. Aside from the podcast, heattreattoday.com has technical articles, video content, a consultant's page, and a resource calendar, all targeted to serve heat treaters. Check out any of these periodically as we continue to update the website daily. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank the Nell Hydrogen eBook, Hydrogen Generation and its Benefits for Heat Treaters for sponsoring this episode. Learn about the pros, cons, costs, and more at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Our outstanding audio and visual producer, Jonathan Lloyd, created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm Bethany Leon. Thank you for listening.